Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. <laughs> Welcome back to the rest of the sermon, uh, Pastor Jason. Hello. Hello, Pastor Tyler. Hello, Pastor Jason. It's good to be back. Uh, our week two and returning from our COVID crisis and our families and from quarantine and all of that stuff. And we are in our second week in the book of Colossians. Yeah. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, the first week was amazing, sort of doing an intro a couple weeks ago. And then last week, um, a few days ago, Sunday, we continued into verses one and two is about as far as we got into the... <laughs> three weeks in, and we'll be in verse three yeah. this coming Sunday. So, so last week uh, was the introduction of the book. This week, we jumped right in. We learned about expectations. Um, so my very first question is, what's, what's your favorite memory from the Charles Dickens book, Great Expectations? Great Expectations. Do you, even rem- do you remember the book? I remember remember the book. I remember being in sixth grade that summer, Yeah, actually, and my dad paid me uh, like money per book that I would complete. Yeah. So I didn't read the original version. I read there was a classic um, like kids edition yeah. and um, read that version. Yeah. And so couldn't tell you a lot about it right yeah. now. So <laughs> the, o- the only thing I don't remember much, I was looking up a little bit, but the, the only thing that I remember from it without looking up anything on the internet was Miss Havisham. Yeah. Do you remember Miss Havisham? Absolutely. A uh, lady who was... Um, well, her husband gypped her on her wedding day, yep. and she decided to mourn by never taking her wedding dress off and leaving all of the wedding food and the feast and everything. Uh, just, Haunting. Yeah, just out in her house, rotting and disgusting. Yep. And, and uh, her dress, as old as it is, catches an ember from the fireplace, and she goes up in flames. Yep. That's my one memory from the Epic. book. Epic. Oh, man. That's so, a great memory. Yeah, it's a strange memory. Um but it's a good book. Charles Dickens. What are sixth graders reading right now, anyways? I don't know. I don't know either. Don't Hold know. on. I'm going to be Jamie from Joe Rogan right now. <laughs> What's a sis? One thing I was disappointed reading. My son and daughter came home. Uh, they've, they attend a great school, but um, it was the week of, the, the, the next week was going to be Dr. Martin Luther King Day, and they were going to be out of school. And they didn't really learn much and do a special segment or anything about MLK. Hmm. And so that was so at the house we always watch like a speech or I've been to the mountaintop. That's my yeah. that's my favorite speech of his. I mean, obviously I have a dream, but yeah, uh, but yeah. So it's kind of sad. The only thing that I'm seeing on this sixth grade reading list um, that I recognize uh, are two things, and there's like 15 books on this: um, Diary of Anne Frank uh, and the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and man, I like. I mean, I think Catcher in the Rye was sure. like seventh or eighth grade, yeah. and then we also had uh, Great Expectations, and and uh, oh man, what's the one where all the kids end up on the island and they go crazy? Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. That's yeah, it. Man. That's well, the that's one. that would be more of a background of a classic liberal arts education. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I don't know. Thanks. Thanks for joining in. Today. Yeah. Yeah. We are we are moving into uh, week two of Colossians. Uh, this is the rest of the sermon again, um, and we talked a lot about um, our big idea. It was coming into the the first two verses of this text. You said uh, you you sort of well sort of behind the scenes in the nine a.m. Yeah. You had the big idea 
uh, was one thing. And then, it was. And then in the 11 a.m., the big idea shifted. So I'm going to read did. both of them, but this is from the perspective of the second big idea. The first one was a correct view of your relationships is critical. Mm-hmm. And last week we said a clear view of Jesus yep. can really change our lives. And yep. so um, some alliteration there, but then we moved to the 11 a.m. and uh, sort of hashing things out as, as we preached through it. Um, the new big idea was your expectations mm-hmm. affect your experience. Yep. Um, and we said two things. Unmet expectations lead to frustration. So yep. I expect you to take out the trash when we're married, and then you don't, and then I get frustrated. You and I aren't married. Um, and then uncommunicated <laughs> expectations, which is the uncommunicated expectation about the trash, is basically premeditated frustration. Yep, It's causing that. And so in chapter 1 of verse 2, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So last week we said the goal of the series was for people to meet Jesus and to mature in Him. And we're presented here in the beginning of Colossians with a view of God that's painted clearly as Father. Uh, many of us believe that we've already got a good idea of God of what God is like. Right. Um, maybe maybe it's the bad news of oh no, like my dad wasn't so great, and I don't want to view God as a father. Or maybe it was the news of I have a great dad, but <laughs> he's he's not anything sure. of what Jesus represents the Father to be like. And so, why is it important to think about? It, it begs the question: Why is it important to think about God rightly? Yeah. If Paul sends us this, if if Paul's writing to the church in Colossae and saying, "Hey, God is our heavenly Father," mm-hmm. why is it important that we think about God that way? Yeah, we shared a quote from one of my favorite preachers, A.W. Tozer, and he said, "What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us." Yeah, um, that's a famous part of the quote, but a more expanded one says um, that that the church, by a secret law of the soul, tends to move towards our own mental image of God. And um, I mean, I think the reason why it's important is because everything else flows from that. Literally, the storyline of the Bible is God created us in His image and likeness. I mean, that is the core foundation for ethics and everything. But I would say the core foundation for idolatry and for sin is for us to reverse that, which is what Paul says in Romans 1, is that we've fashioned God or a version of God in our own image and likeness. And so, I mean, everything flows from that. And that's why Paul writing this letter, as I was just spending time looking at the first two verses, and yes, it's a classic um, ancient introduction and greeting, but the but the relationships, I mean, I mean, the language is so relational, and he points out those four relationships yeah. that are going to be fleshed out in the rest of the letter yeah. and starts with God, our Father. And yeah. so, um, I mean, I think what we said was this is one of the core tenets. This is the shift. This is the big thing in Christianity and, and that I'm learning more and more about as I get older in my relationship with Christ, um, but also as being a father that... Um, this is a big deal. God, yeah. at the Father heart of God, um, is is huge. Yeah. I think there's a great error in in the church. Um, I think, you know, it's very easy, whether in theology or whatever, to not view God as Father, but God as God, like right. this big concept and deep theology, and we got to read, and that is good and right and yeah. true. Yes and amen. Yeah. But I think a lot of times um, we avoid the hard work of viewing God as Father by opting out about this 
you know, big transcendent thing. Yeah. It's, you know, Jesus. I mean, yeah. if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right. So. I've heard the phrase, um, think rightly and feel deeply. Yep. When we think rightly about God, it causes us to feel deeply about Him, yes. more deeply about Him as our Heavenly Father, which causes us to yearn to want to know more about Him and to think more rightly of Him. Yes. And it's just this beautiful cycle that yes. draws us to the Father heart of God. Um, you talked a little bit in your sermon, and we, we went through some of this stuff with Gravity, and we went through it as a church through yep. the series, the Axiom series. Shout out to Gravity um, Leadership. Yes, GLA, or I'm sorry, Gravity Leadership. GLA is a thing we did. GLA is the cohort, yep. <laughs> yeah. Do, yep. The, do the cohorts if you're pastors. You need yeah. to do that. Um, Gravity Leadership, thank you guys very much for this information. We we talked about some of the wrong images of God um, that we sort of create. Like Rather than viewing God as a father, we view him as one of these four one of these four idols, um, yeah. or sort of making God in our own image or creating an image for him. The first one we said was the distant deity. Yep. The second one was the demanding judge. The third one is the determined micromanager, and the last one is the doting granddad. Yeah. Which one do you find yourself um, identifying with the most when you say, oh, that's... That's a way that I view God when, you know, sure. either my lenses are out of focus or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely probably say the demanding judge, mm-hmm. uh, because if you view God that way, then your relationship is based upon your performance. Yeah. And so just in my insecurities in my life, I tend to try to connect that dot um, way too often, whether it's in relationships or whatever. So yeah, yeah anytime... Um, I'm drifting by the secret law of the soul, as Tozer would say. <laughs> I'm I'm drifting towards a demanding judge yeah. that that I need to earn, get get his attention. Hey, look at me, yeah. you know that type of a thing for sure. How about you? Yeah, uh, I think the Lord saved me at a very young age. I think I was like I wasn't even 15. Yet. Yeah, um, I uh, was in youth group, and uh, it was just a an environment where the the painting, the painted picture of God that was given to me was the doting granddad. Mm, you yeah. can you can do no wrong. Sure. Um, and then as I have gone on to to grow, I guess in knowledge um, and more thinking rightly about God, I've my pendulum has swung the opposite way and moved in more of the demanding judge sure. that that uh, oh I've got to do this and not do this and yep. earn earn God's love or, or earn His approval or or whatever. And uh, uh, I've that's the one that I probably identify with the most. But I, I, I love the idea that, well, I love that we just didn't say, hey, the images of God that we, you know, create on the header on your slide, it said the wrong images of God. Right, <laughs> right. And Jesus said it, you said it earlier, and Jesus said it, that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And one of the axioms that we went through the series was God is like Jesus. Yep. We have no question as to what he is like, and we are thankful for that good news, and that can kind of keep us on the rails. Amen. Um, we also said grace and peace were gifts from God, mm-hmm. that grace is the basis of the relationship, and peace is the Father's presence in the relationship. Yeah. Um. We live in a time where, like, grace isn't really the basis of anything. Nope. Um, grace nope. isn't the center of of married relationships. It's not the center of how we run things in on a political level, whether it's state, local, or federal. Yeah. Grace is not the basis of anything. No. Um, and so I think one of the things that we tend to do, and we see it a lot here in this culture, like we live in southeast Missouri, right? Poplar Bluff. We're just yep. like northwest of the boot heel, uh, where the outdoors and hunting and fishing and like being alone are like common ways that we hear, at least as pastors, that people feel the presence of God, yeah. quote, feel the presence of God. We hear that a lot. We also hear get alone. We, just culturally in Christianity, we hear get alone with God, find someplace quiet, quiet time. 
time. We know those things are good. Jesus did that. Absolutely. The Eremos, to get away to a quiet and desolate place. Uh, but we know that this letter was written in the context of an entire church. Yep. If we're studying the book of Colossians and it's written to a church in Colossae, it's written, I mean, just as we said, the 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 terminology our Lord was used 53 times and my Lord was used once. Yep. The audience is a is more than just one person. Yep. Um, and so if grace and peace are gifts from God, and a lot of us are seeking peace right now. Excuse me, I have a bubble in my throat. <laughs> Got bubble throat. Why is it dangerous to seek peace alone? Mm. And then the second question that will stem from that, and why is it beneficial to seek peace within the context of a local church? Yeah, that's so a great first question. One, why is it dangerous to seek peace alone? Yeah, I think there's an element of that peace, like you said. I mean, when it comes to the to the disciplines, I think of Richard Foster's very famous book, The Celebration of Disciplines, you know, and there's a difference <clears throat> in isolation and solitude. Yeah. Isolation is, in popular phrase right now, you know, social distancing. Yeah. And we are created uh, to be in community. We're created to be connected to one another. Now, yeah. the volume can get turned up pretty loud on that. Hence, solitude. Yeah. Hence, Jesus getting away. I mean, I had the privilege a couple of years to go to go to a prayer retreat, and those things are good. Peace comes with the Father's presence. Yeah. Yes and amen. There's a part of that peace. But I think the day-to-day life, the Father's presence, um, the Father uses people, uses his children. And so that peace comes through other people as well. Um, and, and I think what makes that so difficult is in our culture, we find that to be the opposite. And so I think if you find peace a majority of the time disconnected from people, then anytime you encounter your relationships and maybe the anxiety and conflict is high, yeah, what you're going to think the answer is, is to disconnect. Yeah. What, what I need to do is I need to be in isolation now. Right. And I think that is a dangerous pattern to create over time yeah. versus, hey, I am actually feeling this way and do the opposite. Be completely honest about that. Like, hey, right now in our relationship or with this thing that's going on or whatever, I feel a great temptation to isolate. Um, and and I need to just put that out on the table. And yeah. I, Listen, this is the thing, man, right? That I think you'll find peace there when you say that and you're honest about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, James, a soft answer turns away wrath. Yeah. Man, I think being completely honest in a relationship and saying, man, I want to isolate right now. I want to get away. I have a wrong view of peace. I think you will actually find peace in that confession. Yeah. So that's just kind of a gist of that, I think. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, and it's so beneficial to seek peace within the context of the local church is sort of the second part of that con that, that question. Yeah. It is dangerous to seek peace alone. Um, because it sort of falls under our banner, our own definition of how we achieve it. Um, but then what are the benefits? I mean, I know being honest, but to actually look, for, to communicate to the person who is sitting home, sitting at home and saying that the only thing that they need in terms of, of peace or finding God is their, their Bible in their hand and their favorite preacher on the television. Yeah. Or even streaming our services online sure. um, at 11 a.m. Yep. What is the difference? Uh, 
what, what are the benefits of actually being surrounded? Because we talk about this a lot, and I want our listeners to know the ecclesiology, the yep. understanding of the importance of the physical gathering. This is also why it was so difficult for us while we were shut down on an emotional level, just yep. because we gleaned so much from that. What is the benefit of the context of the local church for the community within the church? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, first off, I think we have to remember how new this idea is. I mean, this Western individualism right. idea of the church, guys, is barely a hundred years old yeah. at best. I mean, this is the first time that in our two thousand year history that that this is even and and we could rant and rave about this for a right. while. It goes back to the revivalist movement, and the revivalist guy would come into town and say, "You need a personal relate. You need if you don't have a conversion, if you don't have a story, you're not saved. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ." And praise God for that. Praise yeah. God for those guys. Praise God for the crisis moment. Praise yeah. God for the guy that stands up and says, "Repent." But it created this individualistic, my story, my decision, my personal relationship. And I mean, just a cursory reading of the New Testament would know nothing of that. So first, I think think we have to admit, this is really new, this, this concept is. I also think, just to be really frank and to tread on dangerous ground, there's something about American rugged individualism. Yeah. That makes it nobody's going to tell me what to do. Right. I have rights. I have, and, and listen, my granddaddy fought for this country. Um, I am so blessed to be a pastor. Praise be to God. I think it is a good thing to say I am proud to be an American. Praise yeah. praise be to God for that. But there's also a dangerous concept, I think, that is in the church, and it just knows nothing of it. And even the context that Christianity was birthed in, I mean, Eastern... Uh, familia, Eastern family, hospitality, the home. If you've ever traveled abroad and gone to the East, a dinner, a meal, going into someone's home. I mean, this is just all different. And Christianity birthed in that context. And so um, it is the way that God sanctifies us, grows us. I mean, just think about this. How can you at home with your Bible watching David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley. Praise be to God. Love those guys. They're as old as Moses, Okay, (laughs) still preaching the gospel. That's awesome. That's great. But how do you forgive one another? Right. How do you love one another? How do you bear one another's burdens? How do you resolve conflict? How do you... I mean, 99.9% of the New Testament and the Bible itself, you you, you can't do. And so again, I think it goes back to... um, There's a wrong image of God there. If God is a loving Father... Okay, um, I don't know. I mean, I know your home is like ours. Running around with kids, things are going crazy. Um, <laughs> it is a rare moment and a weird moment when kids are isolated away from one another, and yeah. they're each in their room doing right. their thing. Not, I mean, if we ate dinner like that, that's weird. Okay, yeah. that's 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 really weird. That's not a healthy family. Yeah, a healthy family is gathered together, and my joy as a father is to see my kids gathered together interacting with one another. Yeah. That's what God's like. Yeah. That's what God is like. And right. so, um, and we even have this on our website, guys. If you go and listen to our sermons, one we have a little blurb that I wrote that I specifically said when we built our website. There's a little blurb that says right before you get to the sermons, hey, if you're listening to this and you're not involved in a local church, this in no way, shape, or form 
should substitute you being a part of your local church. Yeah, this is supplemental, yeah. not not a substitution. And so, um, yeah, I can't say enough about that. Yeah. So. Yeah, God's plan for the world has always been the local church. Amen. Always been the local church. And within the local church, we moved on to our next point. We said our relationship to ourselves. We kind mm. of spent a little bit of time on our relationship with God, talking about our our exper- expectations affect our experience, and in order to, to kind of tap into that, we need a correct view of God. And so we see God as Father, and then secondly, we see our relationship to ourselves is uh, saints. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yep. Which I loved when you said in the sermon, man, like, Jason, if there was a word that you would have asked me to describe myself with, at the very bottom of the 90th list, yep. maybe would have been the word yes. saints. Yeah. We said our identity isn't something that we have to... Well, I'm sorry, you said from Martin Luther. Um, sim, well, this is... This is uh, R.C. Sproul's pronunciation. I looked sure. it up. So okay, he, said, yeah. he says, simul justus a... a Et peccator. Peccator, Simul peccator, yes, Eustace, sir. Uh, I don't even remember how you said it. I don't know I how no he idea, said it. I'm I said it with it a southeast Missouri twang. <laughs> yep. Simul justice peccator. Yep. Uh, Martin Luther said that in that same way, and uh, that means we're both uh, sinners and saints at the yep. same time. Simultaneously. Um, simultaneously. Sinner Simul. and justified. Yeah. Yeah. And we said our identity isn't something that we have to fight for, but it's a place that we fight from. Yes. There is a lot of fighting that has been going on lately, um, everywhere. I mean, just just think of an area: politics, money, COVID, the whole list of things. Everything has become a question of identity. Mm-hmm. Whether it's identity politics, it's uh, my my money makes me. This relationship makes me. The the state, local, federal laws make me. That uh, this is now a question of identity. Which side are you on with this issue? Oh, you agree with this person? Well, that makes you like this, mm-hmm. or you agree with it? This. The, we have, we have been fighting for an identity. How does the believer fight or live from their identity in Jesus? How is that accomplished, especially in the climate that we live in Absolutely. in 2021? Yeah, I think the first thing is, again, it goes back to your view of God. Right. So the world would say to find your identity, you start with you. That's why the largest section in a bookstore is the self-help section. Mm. And if new books keep coming out every year, guys... That means last year's self-help book didn't help so much for yourself. Right. And we've just got to ask this question, what if we started with something other than ourselves? Well, I think we're seeing that played out. I think we're seeing people go, okay, maybe it's the political affiliation or this, that, and the other. But it goes back to God. Yeah. And we only know who we are in light of who He is. Amen. And I think it's so important. When Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. There's something in there that a love for self is assumed. Now, that's dangerous right. a little bit, but I think it's also right. And I think there has been just as much, if not more, damage done to the Church of Jesus Christ and to the Father's children by constantly berating of a demanding judge yeah. of, you know, well, there's nothing good in me. Yeah. You know, I I, I understand that. Okay, yeah. guys. I, I mean, I mean, I get this thing. I, I know what we're talking about. But when we look at the New Testament, we just don't see Jesus talk to his family that way. And by right. family, I mean the body of Christ. Yeah. And now there are times where the apostle Paul's like, knock it off. What right. are you doing? Yeah. You can't do that. But he always says it from a place of that's not who you are. Right. All of Paul's letters, and this is a fun Bible study to look at, 
have a similar pattern, uh, you know, from Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, the prison epistles. The first two to three chapters are always doctrinal. This is who God is. This is what God has done in Christ. This is the fulfillment of Israel's story in Jesus. Now, this is who you are. And then the latter chapters are, now live this way in light of that. Um, It's the imperative and the indicative. If you reverse that order, you reverse the gospel. So we cannot stand up and tell people, live this way, and then you'll be this person. Right. It is... In Christ and because of what he's done, you are this person. It's yeah. it's spiritual amnesia. It's you gotta remind people of who they are. I mean, we see this all, all through the Old Testament. What yep. does God say? Yeah. Remember. Yeah. Remember. Remember. Yeah. I mean, I'll never forget being at a seminary seminar and the guy asking the question, When did God give Israel the Ten Commandments? Right. And I was like, uh, uh On the uh. mountain? Yeah. And he was like, <laughs> after he saved them. Right. After he saved them. Yeah. He didn't come while they were in slavery and said, if you do this, I'll get you out. Yeah. He said, I'm going to get you out. And now that I've got you out of slavery, which is a mirror of our slavery to sin, yeah. now live this way. Yeah. And it changed my life. I mean, right where I was, Tower Grove in St. Louis, a guy from Covenant Theological Seminary asked that question. Yeah. And I was like, am I even saved? Right. <laughs> like, do I even know the gospel here, man? Right. And I just think it's massively important. And yeah. with that is... Our view of ourself, yeah, and man, um, people are struggling, bro. Yeah, I'm struggling. We're all struggling, and I think the last thing we need, um, there is an element of bad news to the gospel. Yeah, it's good news for a reason because there's a lot of bad. But man, when I spend time with people, and 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 you know this as well, spending time with people, they're dealing with so much. When they come in on a Sunday and they sit in that pew or that chair, everything in their bones is begging for good news. Yeah. What do you have? I look out and I see school teachers. I see factory workers. I see construct. I see marriages. I see, and it's, what's the good, what's God done for me? If I lay on them, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Right. I mean, that's what Jesus meant, that those are heavy, heavy burdens on people. Yeah. That's what the Pharisees do. Um, but rather, here comes this Jesus saying, um, just come to me and I'll give you a rest. Yeah, man. And so I think it's massively important that we view ourselves in the language that the Bible uses. Yeah. So, And the way we view ourselves is important, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. Yes. Um, you quoted William Barclay uh, this week, a saint is someone whose life makes it easier to believe in God. Best quote I've ever heard about a saint. Super awesome. Uh, used, it at, used it at a funeral this week, yep. uh, this past week, or say last week. Um, and... My, that quote did a lot for me, um, not just hearing it in the context of, of a loved one who, who passed on to be with Jesus, who uh, came to our, come to our church, um, but also personally, to know that like my, how I view myself is not just a self-esteem issue. Mm. Um, how I view myself is not yes. just a mental health issue. Um, how I view myself is a community issue. Yes, um, and it's deep. It's theological before yeah. it's any of those things. Yeah. Yes. So, so what are some? I mean, what are some ways? Like we've been in the game long enough. We know some answers to this question. How do we make it harder for people to believe in God? Yeah. If the life of a saint is someone who who makes it a little easier for people to believe in God, how do we make it harder? Sure. I mean, I think when you hear the word saint, I said in my sermon, "Don't go stained glass on me." Right. Now, now, now there. There's an element of that, and that's beautiful within yeah. the church and, and the history of those things. But 
Um, you know, when you think of Mother Teresa or St. Anthony the Great, um, I mean, these guys are my heroes, you know. But when it comes from a theological, the big term, ready for this, guys? Here we go. Get, get something cued and ready to go. <laughs> the big term is soteriological. There, I don't know. I just yeah. pushed the button. I didn't know what it did. Soteriological, Soteriological. Is, is about salvation, this, that, and the other. Um, when it comes to being a saint, and I love that definition because there, here we, we did a funeral, and this guy was just broken, lost his mom. She had yeah. suffered, man. Gosh, she had suffered through health issues. And he just had tears in his eyes at the funeral home and just said, Pastor, my mother was a saint. Mm. And when I ran across that quote, I was like, that's what he's saying. Yeah. He's saying that my mom's life pointed the point of your life is to point to Jesus. Amen. That's what a saint is. Yeah. And so um you know when it comes to viewing um ourselves this way get back to the question what was the question again? Yeah, uh, how how do we make it harder for people yes. to believe in God? Yeah. So I think when we think of a saint, we think someone who loves and, and, and has sacrifice. I think we make it hard for people to believe in God when we think that we're defined by what we're against. Hmm. Because again, yeah. that goes back to our view right. of God. So if we think God is more into letting us know what he's mad about, right. and, and again, I need to clarify this, this does not mean that we do not preach repentance. Right. This does not mean that we do not preach against the gravity of sin. I mean, this is we fully believe in these doctrines, and, yeah. and we teach these things. But ultimately, if you think that you're defined by what you are against, I mean, I think that is a barrier that yeah. people go, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this and you have a loved one and, you know, who's dealing with some sin or you have a family member or a friend and they're living together with their boyfriend or girlfriend and every time you're around them at Thanksgiving, you drop little statements like, well, it'd be better if y'all to get married. Or that, like, listen, I understand your heart and I right. love you and I love you. But goodness gracious, you're defining yourself by what you're against, yeah. you know. And and I think that's a huge barrier for people to believe in God. What about you? Yeah. What do you think makes makes it <clears throat> difficult for people to believe in God when they look at a a self proclaimed saint's life? Yeah. Well, I think the the first thing that comes to mind, um, first thing that comes to mind, I want to talk about what I think of when I hear of the word saint. Mm. When I think of a saint, I, I go stained glass yeah. immediately. Sure. I think a cleric collar. I think. I think a uh, high and mighty, um, somebody who is viewed through the lens of perfection, not just by the, their people, but by God. Um, and I know scripturally that's not wrong, but I think that's just the just the stigma that's been brought along with the word for me as I've sure. grown up. But for me, I think a way that that the way that we can make our lives harder for people to believe in God. I mean, if you, I I spend a, I spend a lot of time reading comments when I'm on social media. I don't mm -hmm. spend a lot of time typing them. And I rarely ever see anybody say, I hurt you, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I often see just a complete defense of why I'm right and why you're wrong. Not a lot of people apologizing in the comments section. Yeah, yeah, and that's just not... And, you know, that might be a horrible a horrible. No, I think section, it's great. But, I mean, if, if the majority of the people in our country are engaged in social media and a large... I mean, you see, view 918 comments and right. view all the sub-comments and all that stuff. Um, I think one of the hardest things, especially for people who bear the name of Christ, um, placing burdens on other people by calling them names or just trying to prove a point sure. rather than make a difference, I think for me is really 
it's really impactful. And I, th- I think I say the name calling thing because it was really impactful for me. I'm just getting real here. I was, I was bullied a little bit in junior high. Um, I yeah. say a little bit, a lot of it, enough for me to, sure, you know, be extremely affected. You by couldn't it pay all. me a million dollars to go back to junior yeah, high. Yeah, a million yeah. bucks. I, I wouldn't do it. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, there were there were things said. Name calling was a big deal um, for me, and then uh, some physical stuff went down when I yeah. was in middle school. And and to see that um, while I'm on this search for like like who is God, who is Jesus at mm. that time in, in junior high, I'm like, is this what's left for me? Does this I mean, is this all I'm worth? Wow. Am I valued in this way? That is what we're communicating to other people when we say, you voted for who? I can't believe, like, you're such an yeah. idiot. You know, right. just that kind of language and, and the implication. I think we don't really understand how powerful our words and the way that we use them towards one another really are. Yeah, um, that's good. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, and I, I think uh, as believers, um, we're held up to to a higher standard, a higher calling than than just what the world says of like, hey, be nice to one another. Right. Like, and, like and Jesus it, says to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. And yeah. I think it goes back to what we like to say, a gospel motivation. And and here's what I mean. Someone caught in the act of sin, okay? Yeah. Um, there is an appropriate time, as Jude would say, to literally dangle them over the fire. I mean, it's yeah. literally what it says, yeah. hoping that a garment is not doesn't even smell like smoke. We need to let them know. Yeah. And I've sat across from the table with a guy getting ready to leave his wife and his family with my yeah. Bible open and saying, don't do this. This is going to be devastating. This don't do this. We warn that. We do that. Yeah. But I think also... Um, someone caught in the act of sin and you going to them as a as the father's love as a bearer of the father's love yeah. saying and this is not who you are yeah please i mean it's it's the prodigal yeah he had the speech prepared and the father just hugged him that's why in the new testament when it says love covers a multitude of sins love is the greatest motivator on the planet not law yeah. And that's what we're getting into right now. It's right. Luther's famous law and gospel. It's it's both and. Yeah. The law shows us our brokenness but cannot heal us. Right. And so I think moving in to those relationships as a bearer of love and a giver of love yeah. out of a sense of brokenness, weeping over sin, burdened over that, I just think that wins. Yeah. I just think that wins. Yeah. No, that's good. Um Moving on in in the context of the sermon, we we said so far that our understanding our our expectations affecting our experience. We got to know our relationship to God as Him as Father, mm-hmm. uh, our relationship to one another, to ourselves. I'm sorry, as saints, and then our relationship to each other is as family. Family. Um, and we've already painted a little bit of a picture of that, and we've talked about this. Our Lord is our Lord is used 53 times in New Testament writings, and Paul writes to the church in Colossae and calls them faithful brothers. Yep. Um, some of us, just like with the wrong images of God, we have a wrong, distorted view of our family. Yep. Um, we've talked a little bit about this, I think, the first week on our podcast with family systems theory and some stuff like that. How does the church differ from maybe an unhealthy family, and how does it function as a healthy one? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question. Because yeah. maybe we, I mean, maybe we view... Maybe we view some of us. Some of us don't have the 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 family dynamic like you and I have, where we all sit down at the table and eat together, and right. that our kids are aren't separated and doing their own things, and, and we're absent from one another. Some people right. live in households like that. Sure. Um, and I, I 
I, I wonder what would be encouraging to them to say, hey, church is like family. They'll be like, oh, gosh. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, it's because I think it's the both and. I don't think there is an institution or anything that God has ordained as helpful as the church. Yeah. And I also think there's nothing that can be as hurtful as the church. Mm. The same as our own families. Yeah. And getting back into you know the family systems theory, a church family mirrors and has patterns of a familia biological family, yeah, and so um, I think, I think the reason why, and and I said this Sunday, I said I I believe the hardest thing that you can ever do with your life is to commit yourself to one church. Yeah. Now I'm not saying if you move or something, I understand that, but yeah. I'm saying to commit yourself to one church. I'm going to raise my family, have my marriage. I'm going to love these people for forty. Margaret Cross. Yeah. I mean, goodness gracious, 50 years at at a local church, loving people and being a part of that. Was she hurt over those 50 years? Absolutely. Did she hurt people? Absolutely. But then I said, but I believe the most rewarding thing that you could ever do with your life is to give yourself to one local church as well. Because God has made, and this is a big statement, there is no plan B to the health of your relationship with Jesus Christ apart from a local church. Amen. There is no plan B. God has not given us any other provision in the Christian life to live this life apart from His Spirit, His Word, and His people. Yeah, that's that's just it. Yeah. So. Yeah, you said earlier that um, the the church itself uh, bears some some of the similar. uh, uh, What was the word that you used? Some of the similar functions and some of the similar. um, Attributes. That, yeah, yeah. Attributes. That's yeah. the word. Thank you. Of family. Sure. Um, what are some similarities between family and church? Because I know that, like, for example, my wife and I met in a very large church in northern Colorado. Um, and when we were interning there, we would we would just randomly talk with some people in in the main auditorium, and we asked one person why they came, and they said, "I like coming here because I can sneak in the back, listen, and leave, and have everyone leave me alone. Wow. <laughs> like, sure. like I can come here and I can disappear." <clears throat> and um, I don't know if that has become like a normal thing within churches, or if that's just the local context thing for that specific person. But yeah. um, what are some ways that that families and churches are are similar and? kind of less like that person's view. Well, I think it's a place where you go to get love and give love. You do that with your family. But I think primarily, and and this is the big thing, and this is where family systems theory comes in, is resolving conflict. Yeah, I mean, the way that you resolved and experienced conflict in your biological family in those systems and patterns of either we blow up, shut up, or whatever about this, is the way that you will handle conflict within the local church. And when you look in the New Testament, I I don't know why we're so shocked that there's conflict in the local church. I mean, all of Paul's letters include... I mean, Philippians, he calls these gossiping old ladies out (laughs) by name. I mean, in Colossians, in chapter 4, we're going to get into it. Don't, you know, cut this stuff out. But it's the way um, grace and peace and love and forgiveness are like the guardrails on that road. It's what frames it in, or yeah. at least it's what it's supposed to be. Right. And, and there's also roles. I mean, there's leadership, there's authority, there's uh, equal submission, just like there should be in a family. Yeah. And um, I mean, if you grew up with an abusive or absent authoritative figure in your home, um, when you walk into a church and you see the leadership 
Yeah. You know, you go, hey, I, I'm questioning this. I don't want to submit to this. I don't. I mean, all of those attributes mirror yeah. each other very similarly. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's good. I think it's important to view, um, and not just in the context of, of where we live in in Missouri and in a rural community, um, but I mean that is important. I think it's important to view the church as as a close knit family. Um, I think in rural community. I say this just because I grew up in North Texas and bounced around some churches growing up um, in rural communities and then some cities and some urban communities. And and uh, in those contexts, um, the church was was more of just a place that you went when you were trying to get your life put together, which mm. which is correct to some degree, but that's Amen. not the entire story. Sure. Um, but that it was a place that you could go if you wanted to essentially add blank to your life that mm. that I'm a good I'm a good Christian my grandparents went to church my parents went to church so I'm going to go to church and so when people ask me on Monday were you at church I could say yes I was you just didn't see me or whatever right and we are asked to view and God has set up the church in such a way that we it, it is to be viewed and participated in as a family it is I mean and the definition yeah. we said is the church is not a place right the church is not a performance yeah but the church is a people gathered by God. Yeah. I mean, so so you can't separate that. That is what it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. The implications that are drawn from that are amazing. Yes. Um, the last point that we got into was our relationship to the world. Um, our relationship to the world around us is this. We are in Christ. Uh, and we said Christians are dual citizens. We use that terminology. Yeah. Um, dual citizens. I love that. We're both in the world and in Christ, and that yep. your current location situation is not your final destination. Can we talk about the good news of... And let me preface this. I'm not saying like, gosh, I want to get out of here right now. Sure. What is our final destination? Yeah, man. That is good news, yeah, and man. I think that's something to talk about. We'll see this week. The Apostle Paul says that your hope in heaven. Yeah, I mean that's it. That's the goal. Yeah, and it's so interesting in the in the original language. The Apostle Paul does this play on words. He says, you know, to the saints and faithful brothers in verse two, in Christ at Colossae. But it actually reads brothers in Christ, in Colossae. And so it's exactly what Jesus said. You're in the world, but you're not of it. Your yeah. location is Colossae, is Popper Bluff, or wherever you're listening to this. You might be yeah. at work. You're at work, but you are in Christ positionally. And, I mean, that's so much ink has been spilled about the spiritual understanding of being in Christ Yeah, that um, God no longer views for those who have repented and confessed of their sins. Um, and called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, that God no longer views you as this sinner or this person, but you are in Christ, that yeah. Christ covers you, which has massive implications. You yeah. know, right now, if you're listening to this and you're at work, you don't work for your boss. You work for Jesus. Amen. I mean, yes, you work for your boss, but ultimately you work for the Lord. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a college student, if you're dating, if you're... Whatever you're doing out there, you're ultimately doing it in Christ. Yeah. Um, and again, to tread into some dangerous water, um, 
our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus, yeah, not to a political party or a country. It yeah. is to a kingdom. Yeah. And I think we are seeing those lines blurred right now again. Yeah. That doesn't mean um, that that we speak less of and do not give honor to whom honor is due yeah. and be grateful for the nation in which we live. It doesn't we can speak truth to power. Right. And we can say to, and we're going to pray for leaders and presidents and all of that. But at the end of the day, I am not defined by the country I live in. Yeah. I am defined by the kingdom I am a part of. Yeah. And and that's paramount. It's paramount to know yeah. that. Oh, that's really good. I uh, I was thinking about this question yesterday and a little bit this morning before getting in here and how we were going to talk about it, what our final destination is. Because right now, like I have the tendency, well, you know me, I hate conflict and I hate when people disagree with one another. So anytime that I see anything, whether it's on the news or on Facebook or in person and people disagreeing, I'm like, I just want to get out of here. You're an Enneagram <laughs> too, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How can I, I help them? Yeah. I. What's the solution here? And and so I immediately think too, like when, when things are going to be better, but Christ calls us to 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 make make things better now. Yes. That he is in a, that we are in the world and we are also in Christ and that we are to bear one another's burdens and to fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ being to love God and to love our neighbor as our excuse me to yeah. love our neighbor as ourselves. And I I think we can do what we always do when the pendulum swings one way or the other. Or we drive off the ditch on one side or the other of the road. That we can say that. Uh, we, we want to make things better for the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ here on this earth, and that's our entire mission, and then we moved in, we move into like the demanding judge mentality. Right. Um, or we swing the other end and we say, I, you know, I'd just be great if I got hit by a bus and the Lord took me now. Right. I was with Escapism, and, escape theology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's, it's this beautiful mixture of both, but I think what, when we pair the context of where we live now and how we can participate in it now in yes. God's kingdom work, and what is to come for us, we can find encouragement when we see bad things. Yes. We, see things, we can find encouragement and know this isn't it. Yes. Like, I mean, literally, our the, what I believe our theology teaches, and Jesus taught us this in the prayer, is that we usher in the kingdom of God right. with the acts of God, right. mercy, judgment, yeah. um, justice, what righteousness. Jesus teach us to pray on right. earth as it is yes. in heaven? So when there's somebody feeding the poor, yeah. the kingdom of God is getting ushered in. Amen. When justice is pursued, the kingdom of God is ushering in. Amen. Um, all of these things are the kingdom of God. That And, and the difference in that is... That's participatory. Yeah, <clears throat> that we are partnering with God, what He's initiated to do, yeah. and we're ushering in the kingdom of God. But this escapist mentality of you know yeah. I'm just praying and hoping for the rapture or right. something like that is like, man, that's escapism. Right. That's I don't see that in the New Testament. Yeah. I see um, pushing back darkness, yeah. working and doing those things yeah. and establishing that. I love what Eugene Peterson said that the church is. The church is a colony of heaven in the country of death. Yeah, That's what the church is, and yeah. that's the kingdom of God, and, right. and we usher that in, being in Christ. Yeah, man. I'm reminded of Jesus and Bartimaeus, um, blind Bartimaeus, excuse yeah. me. He was <laughs> defined by his condition. Um, Jesus heals Bartimaeus. First of all, he's like, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus is like, is this not obvious? Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, uh, he makes him say it, makes yep. him say what he wants. Um, and then Jesus heals him, and he says, go your way. Yep. 
normally Jesus is called to everybody else's follow me. It's not, hey, believe in me and just do your life. It's yeah. follow me. It's now live your life in conjunction with me in this kingdom work. And for Bartimaeus, he says, go your own way. And that, But it says, and Bartimaeus rejoiced and followed Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's that's our... That's our response to the chaos in the world right now, whether it's whether it's squabbling over politics or this, the state of the globe, um, ecosystems or economy, injury, death, sickness, the weird conversations of the holidays. Our response to those can be one of two things. We can press the eject button, which is what we said believers don't do. We don't bail. Um, or we can choose to join and follow Jesus and participate in his kingdom work in the midst of the chaos, absolutely. In the midst of the things that are broken and that are difficult, this is not all that's left for us. Amen. Yeah, Amen. man. And we yeah. see this in the first two verses, man. Yep, first two verses. I'm digging this. Colossians is near and dear, and I'm really glad that we're we're taking some time and and spending some time in there. You have any uh, any closing thoughts uh, before we wrap it up? We're about fifty minutes here. And yeah, just appreciate everybody listening in. I think you know. Yeah. We, we said that our goal is is we want this uh, to know the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and so um, you know we hope. Um, I heard a quote that said. Good preaching should never end a conversation. It should start one. It's a good quote. And so we just hope that, you know, this podcast uh, continues a conversation, allows you to dive deeper yeah. um, and and to get into it. And ultimately, at the end, we just really want to see this big view of Jesus. Yeah, so. man. It is all about Jesus. I want to give you guys a couple more resources. I know we mentioned it last week, but if you don't want to tap with your thumb the back button and the play button, I'll just tell you again. We have some practical tools that you can use on our journey through Colossians. You can pick those up in the lobby at Westside. The Colossians Philemon ESV Scripture Journal, uh, which is just a cool journal with all the text in there and a big blank page on the right for you to take notes in. And the Domino Effect Devotional, which is a devotional that goes through some of the content that we are. And you can find that digitally at seedbed.com. Or you can find that in our lobby. Both of those are five bucks. No questions this week, um, which has kind of been a rhythm. I want to hear from, uh, what if I called somebody out by name, right? You probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. I don't know if we should just do that. Send, send info, us, yeah, info at westsidepb.org. Westside send us one. Send us something. We want to know what your guys' questions are, whether it's from <laughs> a sermon series or just in general. Send us some questions to info at westsidepb.org. Um, I'm going to read a verse to kind of close us out. Uh, I did this last week, and uh, Jason told me that my homeboy Alistair Begg does this on a regular basis. Alex and Trebek. Alistair Begg. <laughs> Uh, maybe I should should I read this in a in a Scotland right. voice? Uh, this is from Revelation chapter twenty two, uh, just in regards to uh, what is our final destination. The then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kind of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they'll see his face. They will see his face. Thank you for joining us. This has been the rest of the sermon. May, as always, everything that we say and do be all about Jesus. If you want more information about Westside, you can visit us at our website at westsidepb.org, and you can catch our live stream at 11 a.m. on Facebook Live and visit us in our in-person gatherings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We love you guys. Blessings. It's all about Jesus. Jesus.